0: Hey there! Thanks for joining our church family at The Cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things The Cross. So be sure to head to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here is the latest message from The Cross Church. All right, so we are in our series, From the Garden to the Grave, and man, it's been quite the journey. We are in Genesis. This morning is our last little stop in Genesis, and we've seen lots of things. We've, uh, we saw creation, Adam and Eve. We saw the fall of man. We saw the flood. Remember, Chris, who has no boat and doesn't know anything about fishing or animals. Uh, we got the therapist up here to talk about it, which is very funny, and I get a lot of joy out of it, but he did a great job. And uh, we moved through it last week. We take took a nice look at Abraham. Abraham, we said, was extremely significant. Why? Can anybody remember? It's fine. It's because Abraham believed God, and it was what? It was a credit to him as righteousness. It was a covenant of grace, which is good news for us because we are also under a covenant of grace Then as we move along, we see um, Abraham and he has Isaac um, as a son. Isaac then will go on to have Jacob and Esau as two sons. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm not going to dive into the story this morning, but you remember or maybe you know that Esau was the eldest son. Jacob was the youngest son. And then Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. You remember this story? I'm just gonna, this is what I would have preached on this story, and I'm just gonna give it to you in one line. Never make crucial decisions on an empty stomach. Never do it. That's why I'm filling out so nicely, because I'm making great decisions. I have determined to not make any decisions on an empty stomach, and it's working for me, ladies and gentlemen. So um, he then sells essentially his birthright to Jacob, and then Jacob goes on to have 12 sons. These 12 sons would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. You did not know that, did you? Well, this is why we're teaching you. It's very interesting. And one of Jacob's sons is a man called Joseph. And this morning we are going to dive into the story of Joseph. And it is an incredible story. Um, In the week, as I was studying this out, I was reading about the fact that they say that Moses actually spent more time on the story of Joseph in Genesis than he does anything else. Think about that for a minute, right? We cover creation in Genesis, but Moses actually spends more time on Joseph. So this is an incredible story. There's a lot in it. And here's what I'm gonna try to do this morning. You can grade me at the end of it. We've got some grading cards. You can give me a seven or an eight or a five, whatever. This is what I'm gonna try to do. I'm gonna try to walk you through the story of Joseph so that we all have a good understanding of what happens in his life. As we move through the story, we are gonna take some practical truths out of the story that I believe is gonna be exceptionally important for us for today. And then we're gonna land it when I show you where Jesus is in the story. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you tithe? You're getting more than your bargains worth this morning. Okay, so let's start this morning, Genesis 37, verses 3 to 4. And it says this, Now Israel loved Joseph. Already confusing. Who's Israel? God changes Jacob's name to Israel after Jacob wrestles with God. A whole nother sermon series. This is juicy stuff, people. I told you, this Bible thing is legit. Okay, so now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved them more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Oh boy. So this is how the story starts. The story starts out by saying that Jacob loves Joseph more than the others. Obviously, the brothers aren't very happy about this. And we see, arguably, potentially, the first time in human history, we see a fashion crime. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you don't think that fashion is all that important, but this coat was to die for, I assure you. Wow, okay. Um put this in the notes. I want moving forward one of those those audience things where I say stuff and you press a button. Ellen, we need to put a button where if I say stuff that's awesome, you press the button and it's like (sighs) awesome. Okay, we're going to do that moving forward. But here we go. This is how the whole thing is set up. His brothers can't stand him. Um, They are not happy with him. And then to make matters even worse, Joseph has a prophetic gift where he dreams certain dreams, and then God actually makes those dreams come to pass. Joseph then decides in all of his wisdom, this is the one area where I feel like Joseph maybe missed it, he decides to go and tell his brothers what the dreams are. Now, here's the kicker. He dreams that they would all worship him okay? So already he's got a killer wardrobe that nobody else has. Already his dad loves him more than anybody else. And then one Thursday morning, that's when it happens, he walks into the breakfast room and he goes, hey guys, I had a dream last night. It was killer. Uh, And everybody's like, what was it? And he goes, you're all going to be kind of my slaves. (laughs) Okay, cool. See you later, right? I kind of want to kill Joseph, to be real with you, okay? So let's not get too judgmental. So we move on, and one day his brothers are walking in the field, and then this happens. Let's continue. Genesis 37, verses 18 to 22. But they saw him in the distance. This is Joseph. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer. Got to be careful of those dreams. They'll catch up to you. They said to each other, Come now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. Uh, cisterns. So, uh, throw him into one of these cisterns. Say that a ferocious animal devoured him, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. <laughs> kind of a, you know, kind of like a little sarcastic. We'll see what happens now if he's dead with the dreams, right? When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. "Um, Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So they do exactly that. They throw him into the cistern. And at this moment, it looks like they have committed the perfect crime, ladies and gentlemen. Joseph ends up being sold And then Joseph ends up being sold to a man named Potiphar who lives in Egypt. So by the way, small little disclaimer, this is how the Israelites end up in Egypt. So by the way, um, just interesting little fact. We all know the story about the Israelites in Egypt, but how did they get here? This is actually the start of their journey when Joseph is sold to Potiphar in Egypt. Now, let's move on here. Genesis 39. Verses 2 to 6, he is now working for this man named Potiphar, and let's see what happens. Verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Okay, so Joseph's had a bad run of things. Um, His brothers hate him. He gets sold into slavery. He finds himself in a foreign land, in a foreign household. But now Joseph is rocking and rolling, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord is with him. There is favor on him. Potiphar loves him. Everybody loves him. He's starting to learn the language a little bit. He's getting into the culture. He's learning the rules of the football game in Egypt. Everything is going the way it needs to be going, except for one thing. Dun, dun, dun. There's a problem again, Genesis 39 verses 6. Here's the problem. Are you ready for it? Now Joseph was well built and handsome. (laughs) Do I know this one all too well? (laughs) Boy, boy, oh boy. Tell you what, I just feel the heaviness of this. You know what I mean? I read this story in the week and I was fine. I wasn't hit. And the minute I got to this, Joseph was well-built and handsome. It just hit me in the feels. I got a little emotional. I was like, heavy is the crown. You know what I mean? But poor Joseph just can't, he just can't get it right. The poor, he's loved, so they hate him. He's got, the, he's got a killer fashion sense. They hate him. Now he's well-built and they're handsome and they don't hate him. The opposite happens. Potiphar's wife, Ladies and gentlemen, um, it is the Housewives of Egypt edition right here, right? This is where the show actually originated. Um, Part of wife gets the feels for Joseph because he's handsome. He's well-built. He's got favor on his life. Um, she desperately wants to get with Joseph. But guess what Joseph does? You're never going to believe it. He does the right thing again. That's what Joseph does. And he doesn't want to associate. He doesn't want to get into trouble. He doesn't want to do anything that he's not supposed to do. So the way the story goes, and you can go read this. It's awesome. She actually lures him in and she grabs his coat. <laughs> this actually happens. Everybody's just trying to rip Joseph's clothes off of him. It's his brothers. It's part of his wife. I mean, this poor guy just can't stay clothed, right? She rips the robe off and Joseph does what every man should do with face with temptation. He should stay and see how it plays out. No, he should do like Joey does in Friends. Just run, just run, just run. You feel temptation in any situation as a man, you don't have to explain anything. You just run. You're like, see ya, I'm just gonna run. You just take a run. Off Joseph goes. He doesn't have clothes on at this point. And now what she does is she goes, "Um, yep, he tried to do things to me and I wasn't into it is what she tells Potiphar. Um, She twists the whole story around. Potiphar obviously gets extremely upset with all this. And surprise, surprise, what happens to Joseph? Now he goes to prison. This poor guy just cannot catch a break. He's loved by his father. He gets sold into slavery. He's loved by his slave master. Now he goes to prison. It doesn't seem to matter what this guy does. It never seems to work out for him. So now we're gonna meet up with him in prison. So he's gone from the favorite in his dad's house to now he's in a random dark prison somewhere in Egypt. And it says this, Genesis 39, 20 to 23, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, guess who was with Joseph again? The Lord was with him He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever it is that he did. We're gonna pause here this morning and I wanna bring out the first truth out of Joseph's life that I believe will help all of us and it's this, God's presence in your life is not defined by the appearance of your life. God's presence in your life is not defined by the appearance of your life. I fully understand that you've gone through some things in your life. A week ago, you decided to put in a Chipotle order online because you were too lazy to stand in line. And they got it wrong. And you were upset. And things weren't great for the rest of your day. And you ended up having a fight with your wife. Um, Everything spiraled out of control. I understand you have faced some things. But let me be honest with you none of us have faced quite what Joseph has faced. He has been assaulted, he has been sold into slavery. He's been betrayed, he's been lied about, and ultimately in this moment, he actually gets imprisoned. Joseph's life on the outside seems to be an absolute disaster. This poor guy can't buy a trick. It all goes wrong all the time, but consistently as we read the story of Joseph, there's one thing that keeps on popping up. God's presence and God's favor never leaves Joseph. God is always with him. Two things that I wanna sort of highlight out of this is the following. And I think there's two things that we tend to do when we go through tough times and when we go through trials. I think the first thing we tend to do is is we tend to blame ourselves. It's a human response to when things don't go the way we want them to go. We have this way of blaming ourselves, and as much as accurate self-assessment is an important thing, we need to assess ourselves correctly, I do think sometimes in life we can go over to the other ditch where we keep ourselves in condemnation. We, we absolutely keep ourselves prisoners, and we tell ourselves that every time something goes, doesn't go according to plan, it must be because we've done something wrong. I was... Uh, having a conversation with my mom on the phone, actually not so long ago. And we were busy talking. And as we were busy talking, my mom said something to the tune of, you know, at the end of the day, I just need to apologize because I feel like I was wrong in this situation. And often my mom is wrong in situations. But in this particular moment, it was completely non, it was nonsensical. It was nonsense. And I said to her, no, you're not wrong in this situation. And I said to her, as we were talking, it's like the Holy Spirit just put a light bulb onto my head. And I said to her, You know, I feel like sometimes in life, it's almost easier to blame ourselves because if we messed it up, that means we can fix it. So, in a weird way, if we always blame ourselves, we are creating the illusion that somehow we are in control. I think it's easier for us to think that we can fix things than it is for us to think about the fact that sometimes in life, Things just don't go according to plan, and it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. So the first thing we need to realize is that sometimes we will go through things and we're not going through those things because we've done anything wrong. It's because there are greater forces at work. Let that also be a reminder to all of us that we have a tendency sometimes of judging others when things aren't going great in their lives. I can almost see someone in the outside looking at... uh, Joseph's Facebook page going, oh, okay, okay. So they tried to kill him, but he's always been difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah, He then sold him to Potiphar. Okay, cool. Oh, that didn't work out. Surprise, surprise. You know what I mean? Now he's in jail. Well, let's be honest. We all saw that one coming, right? He never did a thing wrong. As a matter of fact, he keeps on being punished for doing what is right. The second thing we tend to do as people when things go wrong is we automatically assume that God is unhappy with us and we assume that God's presence somehow is not with us anymore. I wanna encourage you this morning and I wanna tell you this morning that I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're going through, but we have a promise from Scripture that our God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He knows the number of hairs on your head Everybody else in the world might have forgotten about you, but He has not left you. He has not forgotten about you. Deuteronomy 31 verses 8 says this. It says, the Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged because God's presence will never leave you. Let's keep on reading here this morning. Genesis 40. He finds himself in prison, and then this is what happens. Genesis 40 verses 1 to 4. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker and the candlestick maker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Can you imagine being a boss in 2022 and your employees irritate you and you're like, that's it, all of you are going to jail, awesome. <laughs> Think about what you did in prison and then we'll talk again. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended to them. So now Joseph finds himself in a position where he is serving some of the celebrities of Egypt in prison. These two men are directly connected to Pharaoh and as they fall out of favor with them, he throws them in prison. During their time in prison, they both have dreams. Remember, Joseph is the dreamer. Both these men, men have dreams, and wouldn't you believe it, Joseph is there in prison, and he just so happens to know exactly how to interpret these dreams. So Joseph goes ahead and interprets both men's dreams with perfect accuracy. The cupbearer eventually gets freed from prison, and he finds himself serving Pharaoh again. So in his time in prison, um, Joseph finds himself connecting with some people that would end up being very important, and he interprets their dreams accurately. The cupbearer then gets led out of prison, and we're going to pick up the story here where he is serving Pharaoh again. He is in favor with Pharaoh, Genesis 41, verses 8 to 14. In the morning, his mind was troubled. This is Pharaoh. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and they imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Listen to this. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. He told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. One guy had a great dream, other guy had a not, not, not great dream. You know what I mean? Um, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had saved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Next thing that we can take out of the story of Joseph is this. Sometimes our biggest breakthroughs in life will happen in our lowest moments. Sometimes the most significant moments in your life will happen in your lowest moments. Joseph finds himself in prison at no fault of his own. It would appear that God had orchestrated the whole thing all the time. He goes from being the most loved in his father's house to eventually in a strange prison in a strange land. But I'll say this to you. Had Joseph not found himself in that prison, I don't know that he would ever find himself in front of the king. Joseph needs to go through the prison in order to find himself before the king. And I know how this works. We all have plans. We all have ambitions. We all have aspirations. We all make our little plans. We all have our ten-year plans. We all know where we wanna go. We all know what we wanna do. And then what we have a tendency of doing is, is we have a tendency of putting the line together. We want the shortest line possible to get to where we believe God wants us to be. And we plot it out and we have it like this. But I'll tell you something about God. God does not care about a straight line. God is not trying to save time on the trip at all. God likes the scenic journey, if you know what I mean. God has plans that are different to your plans. As a matter of fact, God is that guy in the brainstorming meeting that always comes up with the ideas that everybody else goes, that's kind of the worst thing I've ever heard, but how do we not offend this person, right? God goes, "I know how to get Joseph to where he needs to go. He needs to be enslaved. He needs to be betrayed. He needs to be lied about. He needs to be imprisoned." What do you think, guys? And everybody around the table is like, "Huh. Ah, that's good, God. Yeah, we like it. We'll we'll pencil that one and just put it aside for a moment." But God has a way of taking us to places that we would never imagine. It doesn't line up with our plans. It doesn't feel comfortable, but it's in those moments where often he does His greatest works. Listen to what it says here in the book of James. James 1 verses 2 to 4. James takes it to a whole nother level. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish this work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Nothing unbelievable. I would say to you this morning that tests and trials in your life is not a sign that God is done with you, but it is the exact opposite. Tests and trials in your life is a sign that God is busy working in you. He's busy transforming you. He's busy turning you into the person you need to be in order to walk in the calling that He has for you. Beautiful moment, Joe. Next thing I want to take out of this moment where Joseph is in the prison, another truth that we can hang on to. Don't ever judge the significance of a moment by the exposure of the moment. Don't ever judge the significance of a moment by the exposure of a moment. Isn't it incredible that Joseph finds himself in a deep, dark prison where nobody cares, where nobody sees him, where it must feel for Joseph at this point like all hope is lost. And these guys come to Joseph and they say to Joseph, we need help. And Joseph is as willing to help these guys in the prison as he would be to help anybody else. Joseph does not change one inch. His character doesn't change. His gifting does not change. The way he holds and carries himself does not change. Whether he's in his father's house or whether he's in the depths of the prison, Joseph carries himself in the same way. And Joseph in this moment does a small thing that feels insignificant, that feels like nobody in the world is ever gonna see, but it's the small thing he does for the cupbearer that ends up being the thing that actually takes him into his destiny. We have this way sometimes as people of trying to define how important the moment is by the appearance of the moment. Then we decide how much effort or how much energy we are going to put into it based upon the exposure we feel we would get. Integrity is what we do when we know nobody else is going to see and nobody else is going to know it's leadership. It is excellent. It is what Joseph does. It is what he is called to. And as Joseph is willing to do the small thing in secret, it actually takes him to where he needs to go. I um, had a friend in South Africa once who desperately wanted a really big job in a very fancy company. And uh, he went out for the interview. And at some point in the interview, the person interviewing him took him around and walked him around and they looked at all the different things and a lot of people wanted this job and a lot of people sent in their resumes and a lot of interviews. And at some point in this interview, um, he sees a piece of trash lying as they're walking through the facilities and he bends over and picks it up in mid-conversation with this guy and he throws it in the trash and he goes on and he doesn't think about it again. Weeks later, when he finds out that he got the job, he was elated and finally sat down with the people that hired him and asked them So, what was it? Was it my resume? Was it my good looks? Was it my cool clothes? Was it what was it exactly? And they said, What set you apart for us was the moment you picked up that piece of trash. The moment you actually went beyond yourself to clean up something that you did not mess up, the moment you cared enough about something that wasn't actually yours. That's the moment we realize that you're the man that we want on our team. Picking up a piece of trash is what landed him that big job, not a fancy resume. Let's move on here. Um, Now Joseph finds himself in a place where he obviously gets to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And once again, Joseph does this with absolute accuracy. What happens is, is that Pharaoh has a dream that essentially there's going to be seven years of famine and then there's going to be seven years of prosperity, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. Joseph interprets his dream, and he essentially says to Pharaoh, what we need to do is, is during the prosperous years, we need to save up as much as we can so that we can survive during the famine. And again, the same thing happens to Joseph that continually happens to Joseph. He finds favor with Pharaoh, and eventually Pharaoh makes Joseph the number two in all of the land. Joseph is a foreigner that moves from the prison all the way essentially to the number two guy in all of Egypt. And wouldn't you be surprised, but something happens when Joseph finally is in this position. This plague, this famine hits his family and hits his brothers. And his brothers actually travel to Egypt to buy supplies. And surprise, surprise, they bump in to Joseph. Um, Let me say this. Be very careful whose Armani coat you rip off Uh, because eventually you might bump into them again one day and then there might be some problems. So the brothers need to come back and there's a lot that you can read about this. It's incredible. But there eventually comes a moment where Joseph now is gonna reveal himself to the people that lied to him, that betrayed him, that sold him into slavery. Let's take a look at what happens here. Genesis 45 verses 1 to 8. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me uh, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Next thing that we can take out of Joseph's story is this. No amount of success can eliminate the need for forgiveness. No amount of success could eliminate the need for forgiveness. If there's one guy on the face of the planet that at this point in the game could probably hold on to a grudge and be justified, Joseph is the guy. But Joseph understands and Joseph realizes that if he holds on to unforgiveness, he's essentially putting himself back into the prison that God had delivered him from so many times before. I want to tell you this morning that unforgiveness will ultimately rob you of your ability to take real ownership of your life. As long as you are a victim, you cannot take real responsibility for where your life is going. Forgiveness or letting go of taking back the power in your life is absolutely key to becoming the person that God has called you to become. Essentially, when we forgive others, no matter how badly they've trespassed against us, we're essentially making a declaration. We're saying this, We're saying that you don't have a bigger say in my life than God does. Therefore, I can release you. Doesn't matter how successful we are, all of us need forgiveness. Next thing, and one of the last things we'll take out of the sermon today is this. True forgiveness can only flow out of a godly perspective. Oh boy, you can go find a ton of books written in... uh, in any kind of realm that will speak to the importance of forgiveness. We get it. We understand it. We need to forgive. Yada, yada, yada. I get it. We need to forgive. But the question is, how do we actually do it? I want you to see this line in verse 8. Joseph says this, and I believe that this is key to his forgiving his brothers. He says, so then, it was not you who sent me here. It was absolutely them who sent him here. Right? It was you, I remember it. Like you tore my thing. You still said I was a loser when you kicked me into the cistern, right? (laughs) So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. There is a godly perspective here that Joseph has that puts him in the position to look past the flesh and blood and to recognize spiritually what is going on. And that is what empowers Joseph to actually forgive his brothers. Ephesians 6, verses 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Luke 23, verses 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In this incredible, incredible moment here, Joseph forgives the people that absolutely treated him the worst because he has a godly perspective around who God is, what God is doing, and where God is taking him. And that puts him in a position where he can walk in forgiveness and walk in freedom. Joseph forgives his brothers. And then there's one more thing that happens in the story that I'd like to highlight, and then we will close today. Genesis 46, verses 5 to 7, Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with them to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring." So the story ends with Jacob essentially leaving his land and moving to Egypt. And that is not only the start of Israel, but that is also where our story begins with the Exodus that we are going to be jumping into pretty shortly. Last thing I want to say this morning, and the question is, where is Jesus in all of this? And many scholars believe that the story of Joseph gives us one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel. And if you've listened to the story, you'll know this morning that Joseph gives us a picture of Jesus. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. Jesus will be betrayed by his brothers. Joseph goes to prison. Jesus will go into the underbelly of of the earth for three days and for three nights. Joseph ultimately gets raised up to being next to Pharaoh. Christ is on the right hand of the Father. And we see this beautiful moment where Jesus then, with all his power and with all his authority, does not have vengeance on us, but he forgives us and he loves us and he prospers us. Genesis 50 verses 19 to 21, there's this beautiful moment where Joseph is speaking to his brothers. And I want you to hear it this morning as if it's Jesus speaking to you. And this is what he would say to you. But Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Jesus will say to us this morning, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, I love you, I am with you, I will prosper you, and I will take care of you and your children. I will get you where you need to go. Come, let's stand in this room today. Father, this morning, I want to pray for everybody in this room that is going through a test and a trial and a struggle, Father. Lord, this morning, I pray that this incredible story of Joseph's life will encourage us and it will empower us, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you never leave Joseph. Your favor is always with him. Your presence is always with Joseph. I thank you, Lord, that even though we go through tests and trials and into the valley, Father, Even though things don't work out the way we plan, I thank you, Lord, that we can rest. We can take a breath this morning. We can be at peace this morning, knowing that you are with us and that you will deliver us. Father, I thank you this morning that even though we have trespassed against you, even though we have sinned against you, even though we were your enemies once upon a time, I thank you, Lord, this morning that we are at peace with you because of your goodness and because of your grace. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning for your incredible kindness and your incredible love. Father, I thank you that you work all things together for those who are called according to your purpose. We love you, Father. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you have the time this afternoon, come and and join us for the congregational meeting. Otherwise, God, have a fantastic week. We will see you next week, same time, same place. Go in the name of the Lord. Go in peace. If you need prayer, I would love to pray for you this morning. Amen.